Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to Ruth chapter 1. And as you can tell, we're starting a whole new series called Steadfast. And I'll explain a little bit more of why we wanted to do this series. Uh, after I just kind of have us kind of frame our mind uh, on this thought. I'm just wondering, why is it so hard to have perspective in our lives when we are going through some difficult times? I want you to think about that for a second. Why is it so difficult for us to have perspective with the things that we're going through? I think if you're like me and many other people, uh, one of the responses that we see all the time is we complain. Like, why, why am I going through this? God, why am I facing this in my life? And in some ways, it just shows our self-centeredness as if the whole world revolves around us. Sometimes we feel very privileged or entitled to things. And so we're supposed to be exempt from that. But the reality is whether you are a believer in Jesus Christ or not, that every single person in this world will face difficulties and hardships. That's part of the, the fall. That's part of the sin nature that is within all of us and in this world. I think for some of us, we get so discouraged that many of us, we want to give up. And I've seen that oftentimes, not only in my life, but when so many other people, when things happen, they're not able to have the perspective. So then they get so discouraged and they're like, why should I even try? And many of them just end up just giving up or becoming very apathetic. I think one of the things that we see time and time again is that we forget that sometimes through the difficult things, that only after we go through it, that's when we gain the perspective. We realize how much it has changed us, how much that it has shaped us. Maybe the way we looked at certain things are now completely different. Maybe our hearts, the things that we weren't really passionate about or things that we cared about, now after going through some of these things in our lives, we become a little bit more compassionate, especially if you have lost a loved one in your life. Now, those who are going through grief, you're able to relate with them and to have this greater understanding and greater compassion. And I was thinking about this and I was thinking, man, we've, we've been through a lot the last 12 some months, 11 to 12 months. And as I was thinking about this, I, I said, uh, if you don't have perspective with everything that has happened here in Hong Kong and just around the world, then I think it's going to be very difficult for us to make any sense of it. As I was kind of enumerating these things in my mind, I, I was thinking how we learned how to love people, and especially people from whether it's different political views, maybe people that we don't always agree with on things, because whenever there's difficult things that come, we're going to have to learn how to love people that God has called us to love. I think we had to learn how to trust in God, not in ourselves for an unknown future, that's one of the scariest things to go through in life when you're not sure about the future. You don't know what's ahead of you, but then you have to fully trust in God and God alone rather than trusting in yourself. I think we have to learn how that come to this realization that we're not invincible. In fact, we're very fragile and life is fragile. In any moment, uh, things can just pass away before us. I think we have to learn that our relationship with God is so very important, how much we need Him. Especially during difficult times, these are the times when we think to ourselves, everything will pass away, but one thing that remains is Jesus Christ. He's the same yesterday, today, 
and forever. And I think it's during these hard times we gain these perspectives that we need in our lives. And like I said, it's always easier after you go through it and talk about it rather than going through it at this moment and gaining some perspective. I wanted to uh, show you this video, and it's a story about two men who are in the hospital, and one man uh, went through surgery so, uh, for his eyes, so he had a bandage over his eyes, so he wasn't able to see what was going on. There was another man who was waiting to go into surgery, and uh, simply this video talks about what one of them saw through the window. So let's watch this together, and then we'll come back as we talk about perspective in life. Isn't it amazing? It's not about what you see, but how you see things. That makes all the difference in the world. That's really what we want to talk about, and that's perspective. Because we all go through, go through things in our lives, but it's how we look at them that will help us to really experience the love of God in a powerful way. We're starting this new series, a seven-part series on the book of Ruth. And we just titled it Steadfast because one of the passions that we have is that we really want to train all of you to be more Bible literate. Uh, we're living in a generation that many of us don't really have a deeper understanding of Scripture. So that's why it's difficult for us when we go through hard times to be able to see, like, what is it that God is trying to do? What kind of theology, what kind of perspective do I need during these times? And so we're excited about this because as we look into the book of Ruth, uh, you have to understand Ruth, the book of Ruth is one of the only two Bibles or two books in the Bible that is named after a woman and the other one is Esther. But the thing is that the authorship, the person who wrote this book, uh, it's not very clear and many different scholars, they debate who wrote this book. Some say that it's Prophet Samuel while other people are saying that it's King Solomon. But it's all speculation. And so that the main point that we have to be able to receive by faith is that God inspired someone to write this. And it's such an incredible book, a short little book, but an incredible book that has many lessons for us to learn from it. And so one thing that we do know in this book is that it was written during the time of the judges. Those of you who are familiar with the book of Judges, you'll notice that during the time of the judges, it was a very dark time. There were a lot of sin that was going on, and there was a cycle of sinning before God. God had to bring calamity and different things to wake them up and to get the Israelites' attention. And then they will humble themselves, and then they will cry out to God. And as they cried out to God, God in His mercy uh, delivered them and rescued them. And through that, they had a time of peace and prosperity. And then their hearts wavered again and they go through this whole cycle as they sin god had to bring something towards their way and through that they will humble themselves they will repent and then there was a time of peace and prosperity and that cycle went through one judge after another one period of time after another so let me just quickly give us some themes that we're going to be talking about here in the book of ruth and this is the reason why we called it steadfast and why it's appropriate for us especially as some of you who are uh, graduating or who have graduated from university. I know this is not the best time to try to find a job. Some of us are struggling with a lot of mental, emotional um, uh, health issues because of everything that's happening around the world. Some of you are struggling with issues with your family. And there's, there's so much that's going on. And we have to believe that there's a God who is steadfast 
And that's why we can be steadfast in the midst of everything that's happening in our lives. So one of the themes that we're going to be covering through this four chapters in the book of Ruth, the first one is God's providence. And we're going to talk about the sovereignty of God, that how in His providence He works out all things in His control and provides for His children in that way. The second thing that we're going to be talking about is God's perspective and how God uses even the pain and the struggles for something that's good and for His glory. It's just how we look at the things that we're going through. Another thing that you'll see in the book of Ruth is God's purpose. The amazing part of the book of Ruth is how God uses so many different things that's occurring in the story, in the story of Ruth, that God, He's working it out so that ultimately His greater purpose can be accomplished. And you'll see this as we see that even, and I'll share a little bit later, even the genealogy of Jesus Christ comes out of the story in the book of Ruth. So it's a powerful reminder that God is a God of purpose. So everything that you're facing, everything you're going through, God has a purpose for that. And the last thing that we will probably see and talk about is God's provisions. And the one word that you will see coming up, uh, not in this chapter, chapter 1, but you'll see it in the subsequent chapters, is this word of redeem, this idea of being the redeemer. And so we're going to talk about that, how God provides for us. And he works in such a way that God is a God who provides in that way. So that is the reason why we decided to kind of summarize all those themes with this one word, steadfast. Because we want to explore the character of God, of his steadfastness. And also how as he's steadfast towards us and everything that he does, that we can be steadfast in response to him. And so the American Heritage Dictionary defines steadfast as this, firmly loyal or constant, unwavering. Secondly, fixed, unchanging, unmovable. And so this is the kind of God that we know, and this is the God that we serve. And I'm praying that this is the kind of heart that we will be able to develop within our own lives, to be faithful, to be loyal, to be constant, in loving God. There will be ups and downs, but to be able to have our hearts set on Him steadfastly as we think about who God is and His faithfulness to us. Uh, Lamentation, chapter 3, verse 22 to 23 in the ESV, it says this. It says, the steadfast love, so you get this idea of this unchanging, this loyal, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so we want to understand more of his heart. That's why I love what Max Lucado said in his book, Life to the Full. He writes this. He says, you can endure change by pondering his permanence. I thought that was great. That whatever changes that you might be facing right now, the things that are not really steadfast, those things that are moving around and those moving pieces in your life and uncertainty, that the more you begin to ponder on the permanence of God, that he is steadfast, then you will be able to go through the changes of life. So it's not by looking at our circumstances in life that will help us to get through these tough times, but it's about pondering on the steadfastness, the faithfulness of God, and he will carry us through. So let me give us the one thing. The one thing is simply this, that I want you to kind of 
think about as a theme for the passage we're going to be reading is simply this, that our view of God must be altered so that our lives can be centered. That our view of God must be altered so that our lives can be centered. When things are changing, we want to be rooted and centered with Christ. And so our perspective, our minds, our view of who God is, has to change. It has to be altered. So let me just jump right into it as we talk about and start off chapter 1 in the book of Ruth. And the first point I want to highlight for us is that God can use unexpected moments. When we think about how our view of God must be altered so that our lives can be centered, that we have to understand that God, the God of the universe, can use anything and everything. And He particularly uses sometimes these unexpected moments that happen in our lives. Let's go ahead and hopefully you've turned to Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 5. And it will give us a setting of the book of Ruth. And let's listen to what the Holy Spirit is going to speak to us today with. So this is what it says in chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judea went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judea. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malan and Kilion died, so that, the women, uh, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Let me just go ahead and jump right into this as we've read this passage. From the opening several verses, we quickly notice several things. The first thing is this, difficult times, that they were diff- going through some difficult difficult times, we quickly find out that the time period, as I shared earlier, was the time of the judges. Now, these were not the best of times. The Israelites people were, they were living in sin, and because they were worshiping all these other gods, they were worshiping the Baal gods. And so God's heart was broken because here are these people that he loved and that he picked and chosen for them to be the light to the world, and here they are worshiping other gods. And then in the last verse of the book of Judges, so if you could just, if you look into the book of Judges, the last verse, I thought it was interesting, the very last verse of the book of Judges, we get a picture of the sad situation that the people of God were in. Listen to what it says, Judges chapter 21, verse 25 in the ESV, and please read the highlighted yellow with me out loud. It says this, in those days there were, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's how the book of Judges closes out. That everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Can I just challenge us? Even though when we read these kind of passages, it seems like it was a long time ago, but let's look at our lives. How many of us, we do things that in our own eyes that we think, oh, this is good for me. Oh, this is what I want to do. And we haven't even sought the Lord. We don't even know God's heart. What is it that he wants for us? I think one thing that we have to concede and confess to is that all of our hearts are rebellious. 
We want to do everything that pleases ourselves. We're very self-centered in that way. We will do everything to protect ourselves. That's why we do the things that we do. And until we understand that rather than doing things that we think is right in our own eyes, and we humble ourselves and say, God, we want to do what's right in your eyes. We want to honor you. We want to love you. What is it you want me to do? Speak to me. Not because I don't want to do something or because I want to do this. But Lord, if there's something that I don't want to do, but that's what you want me to do, and that's right in your eyes, I want to obey. And if there are things that I want to do, but you're saying, don't do that, then I want to obey and not do some of those things. So it's during this dark time we see here in Israel's history that God decides to do something incredible. He's working. And sometimes he works very quickly. Sometimes he works, in our perspective, very slowly. But he's always working. And so in verse 1, you see that there was a famine in the land which forced this family of four to leave Bethlehem and then to move to this foreign land called the land of Moab. When you look at verse 4, quickly look at verse 4 again, you are introduced to Ruth and her ancestry, which is from the Moabites. You will see this more in Genesis chapter 19, verse 30 through 38. We don't have time to look at it. You can just jot it down. But we see that the roots of the Moabites, which has a very interesting and very unique history. Because when you look at Genesis chapter 19, verse 30 through 38, you will notice that it's the story of Lot. And Lot had two daughters. And because that there was no son to carry on the name, the the two daughters got Lot, her father, their, their father drunk, and they slept with him so they could have an heir. I thought this was interesting because this is how the people of Moab came about. Pretty much it was from incest that Moab and Ben-Amin, who started the family line of the Moabs and the Amorites. And if you know anything about the Jewish history, those were the two groups of people who fought with the Israelite people and gave them a lot of headache. But then in the story, the powerful part of this, once again, it's about perspective, is that Ruth ends up believing in the God of the Israelite people. She was from the Moabite group of people, and through this movement of going into this land, that's how she was able to come to know this God of Israel. Isn't it just like God? That he's able to use something that is difficult, a situation where there was a famine, and then we see that tragedy and different things happened, but through it, that God's purpose was still standing strong. That's why it leads me to that second point. It's not only difficult times, but we see devastating tragedy during this opening several verses. We see that Naomi's husband died, and as a widow, it would have been very difficult for her and her family to live in a foreign land with her two sons. But her two sons ended up marrying a Moabite woman, Opa and Ruth. Now, we'll talk about this more later because you'll see this theme come up again. But we know that from the Mosaic law, the law that was given to Moses and the Moses gave to the Israelite people, the Israelite people were clearly told not to marry a non-Jew 
especially those from Ammon and Moab. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 3 through 4a in the New Living Translation. Listen to what it says. You must not intermarry with them. Do not let your daughters and sons marry their sons and daughters. And read the yellow section with me. It says this, For they will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. This is the reason why God specifically told the Israelite people not to intermarry with these people because they were people who are worshiping these pagan gods. And once you get into this relationship, then what's going to happen is that there's a greater temptation to turn away from the God of Yahweh and turn to these gods. Can I just pause here and just encourage us with the truth? Even this is reminded, this is given as a reminder even in the New Testament. And especially in the New Testament, the Bible is very clear that we should not be unequally yoked with someone who's not a believer in Jesus Christ. And I know that this is always a struggle for so many of us because I know that for some, uh, some of you ladies, there might be a guy, he's, so, he's tall, he's about 100 and almost 80 centimeters tall, he has a great sense of humor, and he makes you laugh all the time. He dresses so fine, he dresses really well, and he just has a great background, great family, great community. He speaks five languages, and you're, he is your dream. But the problem is, he's not a believer. And I think this is the test for some of us, is that do we want to follow God, or do we want to do whatever we want to do? And I want to just challenge us. God doesn't put certain things in there to cause pain unnecessarily, or that he's trying to deprive you of something. He wants what's best for you. And so we see this here that they were not supposed to marry a non-Jew, but they did. Because God's heart was, I don't want you to worship any other God but me and me alone. But they disobeyed. They got married. And they did not have children. And they lived in this land for 10 years. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. If you go back to verse 1, you'll notice that they moved to Moab because there was a famine. Now, I don't know if the famine lasted for 10 years, but usually famine might be several years. But for whatever reason, they decided to stay because when they moved, it was more of a temporary move because there was no food to eat. But for some reason, they ended up settling in Moab for 10 years. And what you will notice here is that Naomi lost everything. Since there was no heir to the family line, Therefore, she ended up being left alone and without any hope. How about us this morning? I'm wondering what are some difficulties and maybe even possibly some devastating tragedy that you're facing in your life right now? Are there things outside of your control that is causing you to get angry and frustrated, anxious, I know that that's the sentiment that a lot of people in Hong Kong are feeling right now, especially in light of everything that's been happening recently uh, with the government and with everything that's going on with some of these talks about certain laws being passed. Like sometimes it, it, it gets you angry, frustrated. There's some anxiety thinking what's going to happen next, what's going to happen to Hong Kong. Like I'm wondering if some of us are feeling certain things around us and we're like, God, I, like... I'm not in control. I don't know what's going to happen. And it leaves us feeling all these emotions 
that we don't know what to do with. Even though you can't see his purpose in all of things in life, are you able to trust him? Are you able to believe that he's good, that he's present in your life, and that he's sovereign, that he knows what he's doing? Can you trust him for that? Especially even your own personal life, some of the things that you're wrestling with, maybe some of the temptations you're struggling with, maybe some of the decisions you have to make. Are you able to fully trust him and believe by faith that sometimes in these unexpected moments, God can come and meet you right where you are? I wanted to, once again, have us to just take a moment to go into some huddle groups. Let me just uh, understand, clearly explain this so you can understand well, some of the things that we're trying to do. I was just thinking about this. Should we continue to do this even when we come live, all of us together? And I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe not. But one of the things I do know is that a lot of times when you're watching this uh, online, it's easy just to kind of let your mind drift off. And so part of being able to come together in some of these smaller groups and share and talk together is to engage you so that these principles that I talked about can really settle into your hearts. Also, those of you who might not know, we have smaller gatherings in different places around Hong Kong where people are meeting in their life groups and still observing the law and meeting in smaller groups. Uh, now it's under eight, eight people or so. And, and so one of the things that we're trying to do is still have community, even though it doesn't look like the kind of community we want to see. But we want you to, as you're watching it together in smaller groups, to be able to pair up and just share these things with one another and to be able to process it together. So even though we don't have much time to do this, we want to encourage you to do this. If some of you are by yourself in your pajamas, then I want to encourage you, if you are part of a life group, you could just kind of text out with some of your thoughts or to maybe your accountability partner and just be able to communicate in that way. I think it's going to be an encouragement. So we'll give you about six uh, minutes. So quickly discuss these questions. Just share your heart, and then we'll come back together and close out with point number two. I hope you had a good time just being able to share with one another, uh, especially some of the difficult things that you might be going through and trying to gain perspective. And our first point, that God can use unexpected moments to just bring forth his purpose and his plan into our lives. And he can use things like difficult times or even devastating tragedy so that we can see that God is still real. He's still working in us. The second point that I want to mention here as we close out is that God can use not only the unexpected moments, but God can use the undesired moments, things that we don't want. We don't want for other people, but God is still in control in the midst of all this. I hope you understand that there are a lot of things that are not in your control. For instance, uh, you did not choose what kind of family that you were going to be born in. And some of us right now are like, this is not what I desired. If I could do it all over again, I wish I was born in a different family. There are other things that are within even your own heart that maybe this is not what you want, but it's there. And once again, we have to ask ourselves, God, is there something good that could come out of this? I want to know your, not only your steadfast love, but how can I be steadfast in the midst of all this? So I want to talk about how God can use our undesired 
moments in our lives. So let's go ahead and read verse 6 through 9 as we continue in the story. This is what the Word of God says in chapter 1 of Book of Ruth in verse 6. It says this, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Let me uh, read verse 9. It says, The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. Now, I want you to see here that in verse 6 through 7, we see that Naomi decided to return home because she heard that God provided food for the people back in Bethlehem in Judea. And therefore, she made a decision that it will be best if her two daughters-in-law will still stay in Moab while she will return. I want you to also note in verse 6, you see the phrase, the Lord visited his people. Now, the word visited is normally used in the context of divine activity, which simply means that God was acting or he was helping or sometimes he was punishing, but we see that God was in this situation. That's why that word visited is a very important word that we see here in this passage. So here in the midst of the famine, in the midst of them living in this place for 10 years, it says God visited that place. So God was working. He was acting to do something. So it was not something that they desired where they were, but God was still moving so that they can do the will and the purposes of God. I want you to also note here in verse 7, we see the word return. Do you see the word return? It can be translated as repentance. Now, oftentimes in the Bible, the word return was associated with this idea of repentance or turning back to the Lord. So I thought this was really interesting because it's almost as if Naomi decided to go away from the decision that her husband made to go into this land, leave Bethlehem and go into Moab. And now it says that she is going to return. So this idea of maybe this is not what God desired. Maybe possibly that they should have trusted in God, but they kind of decided in their own wisdom, I'm gonna, we're going to do this. But then God has a way of bringing us back into his purposes. So he's, Naomi is now returning, repenting, and turning back. Now, in verse 8 through 9, Naomi, as she was thinking about her two daughters-in-law and their futures, she encouraged them to stay in Moab because they were still very young. So the probability of them getting remarried was great. So that's why as she was thinking about her, these two she said, why don't you just stay and just let me be and let me go back to Judea. Now, you will see in verse 8 the word kindly. Everyone say kindly. kindly. This word kindly in the Hebrew is that word that we have studied oftentimes is the word hesed. And the reason why this Hebrew word hesed or kindly in this passage, why this is important is because it is a reference 
to God's covenantal loyalty or his faithfulness to his people. And so God was now in his covenant love, covenant loyalty, his faithfulness to his people, he will now work in such a way. So that's why Naomi said, may he deal with you kindly. May his covenant love cover you, watch over you. Now the word hesed can also be translated as unfailing love. Not only a covenantal loyalty or faithfulness, but it also has this idea of unfailing love, which entails God's unconditional love or his undeserved grace. Exodus chapter 15, verse 13 in the NIV says this, and read the yellow part, it says this, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. So once again, God leading the Israelite people out of Egypt, but it is because of his unfailing love. So we get this idea of hesed even here. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9 in the New Living Translation, it says, Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. Read these yellow sections with me. It says, He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. So this idea of faithfulness and this unfailing love, the hesed, we see it again in this passage. This is God the way he operates, the way he is moving and doing things to the people that he loves in this covenant relationship. Now, this hesed love from God is not just for the Israelite people, but it's also for us. And that's why even in the Psalms is a reminder. Listen to what it says, Psalm chapter 145, verse 8 and 9. And read the yellow section with me. It says, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. In verse 9, it says, the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. So he is good to all and that his mercy is over all that he has made. I think for many of us, we, we love to show mercy and love to those people we favor. Are you able to love and show mercy to those people that we consider either an enemy or someone who has hurt us? This is the reason why our love is failing. And this is the reason why God's love is unfailing. This is the reason why God's love is constant, while our love is inconsistent. God, in his love for us, no matter how much we have rebelled, no matter how much we have turned away, no matter how much in our own wisdom we are doing things what we think is right, but obviously, not only from what other people see, but just even in your own heart, you know deep in your heart that everything that you are doing, it is not pleasing to God, and it's leading you further away from his heart. But God's love does not change. And this is the reason why we can trust Him. Here on this earth, so many people, their love for us is conditional. And so only when we do the right thing, and you'll see this with some of your parents, only when you study hard, or only when you get a certain job, you see this in the workplace, only when you take care of that project, only when you do that well. But what happens when you fail? What happens when you don't follow through? This is the reason why some of you will be devastated by living for the approval and seeking that approval from people. 
Because not everyone will approve of you. And this is the reason why we need to be rooted firmly in God's approval, in His unfailing love, in His steadfastness towards us. And so he's, His hesed love reaches to all, that He is good to all, that He shows mercy to all that He has made. So Naomi was wanting her two daughters-in-law that they will continue to experience God's faithfulness, God's hesed love for them. And that's why she said, why don't you stay while I go? I think there are so many undesired moments in our lives. I don't know if we will experience it to this degree of what we see in the book of Ruth. But there are a lot of things that are happening that we don't want. We don't desire. But it's happening. It has happened. And so my challenge and the thought that we have to ask is, what are you going to do? I think about my life and a lot of the decisions I've made and some of the things that I've done. And I know that oftentimes when there's conflicts in those decisions or things that I do, sometimes it's my own selfishness and my own self-centeredness. And sometimes damage is done. Things are caused and things kind of precipitate in this direction that I don't want it to go. That's not my desired result or my desired wanting in my heart. But it's in those moments where I have to pull back and ask God, God, what is it that you're doing? What is it that you're trying to speak to me about? Are there things in my heart that you're trying to reveal? Are there things around me that you want me to see? Are there people that you might want me to love that I just cannot love on my own or I would not choose to love them? And this is the reason why that for all of us, we have to be able to pause and pull back and see God's heart and his perspective. And then let's finish off with verse 10 through 14. And they said to her, these are the two ladies, Opa and Ruth, they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you, why will you go with me? Have I not, have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Opa kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. As, you, as we finish off the story, and as you can see here, as Naomi was bidding them goodbye, both women expressed a desire to return back with Naomi. Now, I don't know what other daughter mother or daughter-in-law and mother relationship but it's definitely this is not from the korean drama you know and so we can see here that this is just extraordinary that here are these two daughter-in-laws that are so committed to naomi and we don't know exactly what the reason it might have been because they had pity on her or they had a lot of empathy knowing that she lost her husband she lost her two sons 
but they expressed that they wanted to be with her. They wanted to go back to Judea with her, but she says no. It's kind of interesting as they were going back and forth in this dialogue because Naomi introduces this theme that you will see, as I talked about earlier, about redemption, about a kinsman redeemer. And this idea comes from Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5 through 10. It is this idea of a leveret marriage. And we'll talk about that in the future. And this idea is that when a brother uh, has, when, when, let me, how, how should I phrase this? When a person passes away and there's a brother in the family, he is supposed to take the responsibility of marrying that wife. The reason why is because in the Jewish law, the idea was that in order to continue on the family line, and also there's heir and there's land and property, in order for it to continue to stay in the family, the responsibility of one of the brothers who are not yet married, they need to marry his brother's wife who is now a widow. That is something that is clearly stated in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5 through 10. And so in that way, the inheritance can be passed down to the next generation. Now, like I said, just keep this in mind because we're going to reference back to it when we get to chapter 3 and 4, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. So here is Naomi, and she's talking about Deuteronomy chapter 25 because what she's saying is, if you come with me, what are you going to do? She's pretty much, let me give you my translation. I'm an old woman. And if I, even if I were to get married tonight and to engage in some activity, then if I happen to get pregnant, because I'm old, so even if I were to get pregnant, what she's saying is this, listen up. Listen up, you two ladies. Are you going to wait until they grow up and hit puberty so they can now give you a child? So what she's saying is it doesn't make sense. The cost is too great. You, you, you will not be able to do this. Just stay here, and I just want you to experience the covenant love of God. And because you have been part of our family, you've got to know this God, the God of Israel. So just stay here. This is when we see Opa decided to obey her mother-in-law to go back to Moab. Anyway, I, this is, sorry, it's not in my notes, but I thought I shared a little tidbit fact. Uh, you, you know the famous Oprah, um, Oprah Winfrey. Uh, the story goes that the name Oprah was supposed to be Orpa, but her mom misspelled it and she spelled it Oprah. So a little tidbit for you. But anyway, going back, let me focus. So we see here that Opa decided to obey her mother-in-law and go back to Moab. But we see here in verse 14, Ruth, it says, clung to Naomi and refused to leave. Next week, I'm going to talk a little bit about that, of what caused Ruth to cling on and to make this commitment to go back with Naomi. But what I want you to know is this. A lot of times when we think about our Christian life, uh, we, we get into this human paradigm where it's about like, oh, I got to try to do this. 
I got to try to be faithful. I got to cling on. I, I got to, I, I don't want to let go of God. And a lot of times, a lot of it is your own effort. And what happens when you do fall, when you do struggle with temptation, when you do sin, you get so discouraged. After a while, I know a lot of people, they don't want to even come back into the community or the fellowship with other people because of the guilt and the shame and the isolation that they've experienced. That is the human paradigm. Part of the gospel paradigm simply says that there is nothing you can do. Even in your greatest efforts, you will still fall short. You will fall short of the glory of God. This is the reason why we needed Jesus to come into this earth and to live this life, the perfect life that you and I could not live. And so no matter how much you cling on to God, what you fail to see is God is clinging on to you. That he will never let you go. This is a great reminder for us. In many ways as we see the story evolving, we see so many different traits of God that's demonstrated through the lives of these people because they began to understand who God is. That's why in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8, in the New Living Translation, it says, Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the, Lord, uh, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. So it's God who is going to cling on to you. It's God who is going to hold on to you, not you holding on to God. Because we have in the past, the temptation even now is to abandon God, but he will never abandon us. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, as many of you know this passage in the ESV, it says this, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That he's never going to leave us, never forsake us. He will be with us. And all throughout history, you see time and time again, people understanding this more and more, that God has never left me. He was always there. I was the one who left. And like the prodigal son and the prodigal daughter, that God brings us back. God is able to use these undesired moments for our good and for his glory. How about us this morning? I'm wondering if there are things that you have experienced recently that maybe God is trying to use to help you to re return or repent back to him. Have you genuinely experienced this hesed love of God? the unfailing love, the covenant loyalty. Because if you've experienced it, you know how grounding it is. It will root you deep. It will anchor you, knowing that no matter what you do or no matter what you experience, that his unfailing love will continue to pursue you, that he will never let you go. Will you trust him? Will you be able to give your heart and your life to him? Because there is nothing in this world that is certain only Jesus Christ. God can use some of these undesired moments and even some of these unexpected moments for us to come to a point where we say, God, it's all about you. That's why the one thing that I shared earlier is that our view of God must be altered so that our lives can be centered. Too many of us are just all over the place and we need to ground ourselves, center ourselves in who God is. And that starts as we change and alter our view of God. That he does use unexpected moments. And that he uses even undesired moments to bring us to that point. 
can I just suggest some next steps for us? And the reason why we try to do this is because a lot of times you can hear a message, you can agree with things within the message, but if you don't apply it into your life, if you don't take the next steps to do something about it, it's just something you hear in one ear and out the other. And it, what I'm suggesting is not something you have to do. It's just suggestions for you to maybe think through it and like, oh, I could try to do that or I could do some other things. And it's just supposed to help you to start thinking about some next steps for you. In light of this message, as we talk about how our view of God must be altered so that we can be centered in our lives. Um, the first thing I want to encourage you is pause to see what God is doing. Your lives, all of our lives are too hurried. We go from one place to another. We go to the uh, next meeting to another. We have this and that. And we don't have the time to just pause and to see and even just simply ask God, God, what is it that you're doing? Why is it that you don't have a job right away? Why is it that your family is in the situation that it's in right now? Why is it that you're feeling some of the things that you're feeling? Why is it that you're lazy? Why is it that you're not able to accomplish and focus some of the things that God has called you to do? So instead of just trying to push through, what you should do is just pause and ask God, God, what is it that you're doing? Because he might want to show you something. He might want to speak to you about something. He might want to get your attention. There might be an area of sin that he says, you know what, I don't want you to do anymore. You're turning away from the very thing that I have for you. But you're not going to be able to hear that until you pause and ask God, God, what is it that you're doing? The second thing I would suggest is this. Pray for a change of heart. You cannot change your heart. You can't change other people's hearts. You got to pray. And by praying, what it does is that it gives us that perspective of God. Because there are a lot of things we could pray about. But that doesn't mean God's going to answer all of them, especially if it's not His will. And so when you begin to pray, what it does is it changes us. It changes our perspective. It changes our desires. So spend some time in prayer and ask Him to change your heart. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Pray those prayers. Search me, O oh God, and know my thoughts and my anxious ways so that you can lead me to the way everlasting. The third and last thing I would suggest is put Christ first in your life. He's our true anchor. He's the one who will center us. So what does that mean practically? How do I put him first in my life? Well, it ties in with what I've been sharing, is to be able to say, what will please Christ? What will honor him? What will bring him the most glory in the way that you respond, the things that you say, the things that you do? When you put him first, everything flows out of that, and that's where the blessings come. I want to close with this video. It's a story of Michael Crossland, and he's an Aussie, and he went through some things in life that I don't think a lot of us will even understand. But he went through some things in life, and out of that experience, it literally changed his perspective on life. And this is the reason why he ended up becoming a motivational speaker. He speaks at many different places to be able to share uh, just these truths or these things that he learned about life. And I, I want you to listen to his story as he's sharing it. And as you listen to it, just see the perspective and how things have changed for him. And that's what I want for you. I want that for all of us in our church. 
that we will be able to view God in such a way that all our false thoughts are altered. And then we will be able to then turn to Him and be centered around Christ and the truth of His Word so that even through unexpected moments or even undesired moments, that we can say, God, you are still God, and I'm going to trust in you for that. So let's watch this together, then we'll come back, and then we'll worship a little bit, and then we'll close out with some prayer. What a great reminder for us as we think about a story like that. Uh, Somebody who went through a lot of difficult things, uh, not only for himself, but even his son, and to realize that he's not in control and to gain that kind of perspective. I pray that every single one of us who claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ, that because we understand the Hesed love of God, the unfailing love, that that will center us, ground us, and that no matter what we face, whether it's unexpected moments or maybe even undesired moments, that we can have confidence that God's going to use it for something that's great. That's why we can give Him praise. That's why we can worship Him even though we don't feel like it. But we worship Him because we know what the truth is. I don't know what it is that you're, some of you are going through right now. But the Bible is very clear. That you and I, we have sinned against God and that's why we have fallen short of His glory. But God does not count our sins against us. In fact, that's why Jesus Christ had to come. To die on the cross. Suffer for us. He took all our pain, all our shame, everything we've gone through in our lives so that we can experience freedom and life. That is the great exchange. And if you would put your faith and your trust in that, your life will never be the same. I'm not saying that you will never go through difficult times because you will. We live in this world. Christians are not exempt or in some sense protected from going through hard times. But all we do know is this, that even though the waves rage around us, we can be anchored in Jesus Christ because He is our anchor. I pray that you will be able to confess your need for Him and that you will live your life in light of who He is. Instead of clinging on to Him, let's be reminded, He's clinging on to us. He will never let us go. He will never forsake us. With that in mind, Let's just respond to him in worship. Can we just do that right now? And I want to encourage us, some of us, if you don't feel too uncomfortable, just to stand right where you are. And so just surrender and you can lift up your hands. I know it might be awkward just by yourself or a group of people, but why don't you just do it? Feel this freedom to be able to worship him and praise him in that way. Let's sing these songs together. Can we do that? Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.